Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, what is going on, people? It is that time. That's right. It is time to get going on unfiltered that sound. You know it. It's the unfiltered band. Welcome to another episode of Unfiltered as we begin the countdown to the Major League Baseball trade deadline just sitting as we speak currently one week away. August 2nd, the date that afternoon, it is put up or shut up for everyone around Major League Baseball. Are you buying? Are you selling? Are you renting? Are you going for it? Are you a believer that prospects are cool, parades are cooler? Or do you think the coolest thing is to lie to your fans as an ownership and say you want to win but not being willing to actually put the pedal down and put uh, your money where your mouth is, so to speak? We're about to find out the answers to all of those questions as we count down to the deadline and thank you, Unfiltered Band. Uh, We've got a lot to get to here on this show. This one today, I'm going to do as kind of like a a setup, a primer, if you will, for the deadline. And, it, you know, I'm not going to say it's deadline for dummies necessarily, but there are a lot of people, regardless of how long they have been fans of this sport, who seemingly, for whatever reason, seem to forget exactly what to be concentrating on when you're at the deadline. So we'll get into some specifics in terms of, you know, some of the players that are you know rumored to be moved and some of the things to look out for specifically as well here in this pod. But I want to, you know, kind of set things up. And speaking of which, I want to set up and you can get me on Twitter at Casey Stern and make sure to uh, follow and subscribe uh, to and like all the videos on my YouTube channel as well as Believes. I also have some additional stuff that you can get in terms of uh, my other channel that I have uh, musically. If you want to get into that, you could do that as well. But there's a lot that you can find between now and the deadline in terms of content. Not only daily will I be doing one-hour shows that you can find here on the pod, but you also will have an ability to get reactions to every deal. I'll be doing those here and putting those podcasts up. Uh, I'll keep you posted on Twitter where I'm going to be in terms of around the country talking about the the trade deadline. And you'll also get a chance to uh, get some live viewing on deadline day on Twitter and on social media, which I'll tell you about more as we get closer to it. Here's where I want to start. All right. Buy or sell. All right. This seems to be an easy question. And for fans, it seems like there's always an easy answer. Why are we going for it? We should be, I mean, putting all of our chips in. For the owners and for the guys who with the money to actually spend and for the folks who are sitting there and when they're at the deadline determining whether or not they're going to actually go for it and push the pedal down and put chips in, it is not so easy. And I want to explain why and start there. Once the wild card came into play, things became a little bit more murky in terms of whether or not teams were in it, right? Because the longer you went into a season, it was more difficult to determine whether or not you had a realistic chance to actually get into the postseason, all right? Then when you added another wild card, that was exponentially more difficult to figure out. Then, now you get a situation where, okay, we not only have an additional wild card, but now you've got a three-game series, right? Now you've got buys. So there's been a lot that has been added into the mix, right? If your team is good enough to win a World Series, you always should push the pedal down because that is supposed to be the goal. The goal is to win the whole damn thing, right? So you don't have to tell teams like, for example, in this deadline, you don't have to tell the Dodgers, you have to tell the Mets, you don't have to tell the Yankees, You have to tell the Houston Astros. You don't have to tell the Braves, right? And maybe one or two others that you're really in it to win. That is easy to figure out. When those teams don't push the pedal, it ticks you off. All right? Market size sometimes gets in the way of that. However, for example, the Milwaukee Brewers, Minnesota Twins, teams that could be sitting there a week from now leading divisions, may not do what you want them to do. They may make smaller moves because they can't take on even rental money, right, for the rest of the year prorated. 
because they don't want to take contracts beyond rentals, because they don't want to give up controllable prospects, which of course is is free performance for them, right? To go ahead and acquire somebody that they're only going to have for a short period of time. It is more difficult for those teams. However, what really will piss you off, and this is the case for me with the Minnesota Twins, and it'll be a team to watch, is that you go back to a situation where they had won a division title, go back a couple of years ago, before they went and sunk again. And when Rocco Baldelli was sitting there in manager of the year, and they, you know, the story was the great story the Twins were, they didn't do anything at the deadline. They picked up my buddy Sergio Romo, and maybe one or two other really small pieces, and th- those things are nice. But they didn't go for the rental and that buy that would have made the difference because they were still thinking about the difference in the bottom line and the margin and not the difference in the standings and in the postseason. It's one of the reasons why the Twins, again, went home to the Yankees like they have seven million times in a row in a postseason. It's the same situation that I've talked about many times over the years and even here in this podcast with the Pittsburgh Pirates during the Andrew McCutcheon years where he was an MVP one year and an MVP candidate for about three or four where they had the Shark Tank in the bullpen and won high 90s and wins. They did so twice, I think 97 once and 95 once, if I remember correctly. And they ran into Madison Bumgarner in one wildcard game and went home. Ran into Jake Arrieta in another wildcard game and went home. And they didn't get a chance to go deep into the postseason because they did not want to rent names like, at the time, John Lester, David Price, Justin Verlander, Cole Hamels in different time periods. They didn't want to go for those kind of pieces because they were more concerned about who they controlled for cheap for years than they were about pushing the pedal down, even though they have, you know, the manager sitting there on the hot seat seemingly at all times because teams like that are always saying we're, we're out there to try and win, right? I mean, Paul Molitor, I think, won a division and then the next year was in the last and he was gone, right? Teams that are going to go for it have to not only have the impetus in terms of where they are in the standings, but they also have to have the impetus in terms of being able to take a risk. You see over my shoulder here, the prospects are cool, parades are cooler. By the way, you can get those shirts and hoodies and stuff at Cotton Bureau on Twitter. It's easy to say. It's not easy to do for teams that don't want to spend. And I don't care what you're doing in life. If you're not willing to risk, you're not getting reward. If you're not willing to give value, you ain't getting any. We're going to talk a lot about that with guys like Juan Soto today and throughout the course of the next week. But when you're thinking about buy or sell, teams that have a chance to win a World Series should never be a question. Now let's go to where it becomes more complicated. Everybody loves the Baltimore Orioles story. What they've done being a 500 team with the, you know, speaking of prospects, the prospect of... You know, just going back two years ago, baseball reference before the uh, fan graphs before the season had them as a 0.0. Now, first of all, that's not even possible because anybody who's in it has a chance. I always, I mean, I love fan graphs, but it's stupidity because you can't have 0.0 a chance. I mean, do we not understand? This is like math class. It's not baseball. Okay. But they had like a 0.0. That was just how, so you're saying there's a chance. That was how much love they were getting. 0.0 love. And here we are a couple of years later, and they're in a situation where they are now with an opportunity to go ahead and have, you know, at least meaningful games down the stretch, right? So when you're sitting there and you're thinking about a team like Baltimore, all right, and they're in a situation now where they are at 500, you've got fans who are excited. You've got fans who are pumped up. You've got fans who are looking at this and saying to themselves, well, geez, I have an opportunity now to root for a team with games that matter. I'm excited. We're winning. Why why don't we keep winning? Why wouldn't we try to keep winning, right? Well, part of the problem is, people, is that when you sit there and you look at a team like Baltimore, and you've got guys like Trey Mancini, right, who will get moved here in the next few days, and you've got bullpen arms that will get moved here in the next few days, you have to try and move those pieces because as a team, you know you're not really in the thick of things for a postseason. Now, Again, going back, and now let's full circle it, right? You go back to the wild card scenario. You're only three and a half out of a wild card, right? So, and only a couple of teams, you got the Mariners ahead of you, right? You're sitting there and you've got uh, Tampa Bay ahead of you. And you've got, you know, one or two other teams that are sitting there ahead of you. And But you're in it. I mean, you're in the thick of things, okay? 
not many people buying the White Sox or any of those other teams that are sitting there in that three and a half, four game span behind. And that's that's what? That's nothing. We we've just saw the Mariners go on a 14 game winning streak. And we saw the Orioles go streaking here a couple of times. So you sit there and you think to yourself, this is something we can do. We can actually make headway and we could cut this distance, right? We only got three teams to jump, not seven. Not gonna win a division, we get that, but the wild card, I mean, you know, who knows? You can't look at it that way because if you're sitting there and you're a fan of the Baltimore Orioles, you have to understand it's you've got to take kind of let's go Paul Abdul opposite to track, two steps forward and then take two steps back. Because what you've done is really good, but you have to continue to try and now keep your core pieces and build around the other pieces. Let's go to the Boston Red Sox. Another example here. Red Sox have been terrible. I mean, the Jays put up touchdowns on them just recently a few days ago, right? They've been an embarrassment in the way they've played. My buddy AC Alex Cora must be having, you know, I don't even know, intense therapy with what he's watching with that team. It's been it's been terrible, been deplorable. But if you're sitting there and you're looking at the situation with the Red Sox, right? Here's a team that has played as bad as you possibly can imagine. They've got no, no reason the way they're played for anybody to believe in them. But they're still within a handful of games of a postseason spot. So you've got people who are going to make calls on J.D. Martinez and even to a larger extent, obviously, Xander Bogarts, right? And you're a Red Sox fan. You're thinking this team stinks. Let's sell. Let's get rid of it. Let's move. But how much does ownership want to give up in a situation like Boston and have meaningless games down the stretch? It's not usually something that a team wants to do. So I think one of the things that when you're dealing with with You've got Fenway and you've got the Red Sox and that brand. It's not easy to sell and to give up. It's easy when they went the chicken and beer, right, from first to last. It's not easy when you're sitting there as bad as you've been when you're still in striking distance. Now, are you going to buy? No, I don't think you could say you're going to buy. But do you give up? I don't know. Do you want to give up Gates? Do you want to? Now, we know fans are going to fill at Fenway anyway, but do you want to be a laughing stock? Do you want to literally just you know, punt the rest of the season? Not easy for those teams to do that. So whether or not to buy or sell is easy when you're at the top. It's easy when you're at the bottom. It's not easy when you're in the middle. What that does is it lowers the amount of sellers. Baseball at the trade deadline, people, is not really much different than anything else if you've been in any kind of sales. If we are sitting there and you go, let's think about COVID, right? During the COVID time period when it first really kind of broken. Nobody knew what was going on and you couldn't get like a roll of paper towels anywhere, right? You would have paid $10 as a parent, trust me, for like toilet paper, paper towels, paper, pl whatever, right? You've got kids homeschooling, like what, you've got pencils? I mean, there were CVS, Walgreens and places that didn't even have anything, right? So if Rite Aid's got it, I'll go. They could have charged at an airport, they could charge you a ton when you're at a store. Why? Because where else are you going to go? You can't go leave and go to 7-Eleven. You got to eat and do whatever's in there, right? So you have no choice, right? At a train station, you get dropped off there. That place that's there, they could charge you $10 for a cup of coffee because where else are you going to go? You got to get on the train, get to work. Supply and demand is what it's all about. So you don't have as many sellers when you've got the wildcard situation and the amount of teams that we just discussed. So now what it creates is a situation where everybody concentrates on the same teams. So everybody has the Washington Nationals on speed dial for Juan Soto, right? And then to an extent where people can actually think they can get in the game, not only for the prospect standpoint, which we'll get into, or the money, right? And we're not just talking about arbitration figures. We're talking about if your idea is, hey, we're not going to trade for him unless we think we can keep him long term. But now you're dealing with beyond that. You're talking about situations like you know Josh Bell, right? Another guy that certainly on the Nationals is valuable. You've got people who are going to look at the Angels, and we're going to get into Otani on this podcast and think, okay, maybe we could pluck Trout or Otani, but certainly Noah Syndergaard among others, right? Teams like the Cubs for guys like Ian Happ. You think about, I mean, there, there are tons of players you can go to, to the teams at the bottom of these divisions where you could say, hey, look, that team stinks. They're not going anywhere. They're either forward thinking or it seems like they're not thinking, right? And now you sit there and you say to yourself, those scenarios, you feel like you have a chance to go and pluck any of those players because they're, they're making, they have no value currently for their teams, right? But if there's only five or six sellers, then that's a problem. And this goes into kind of part two of my primer today, right? Which is patience. 
when you make a deadline for anything, and if you have been listening to me for the last 20 years, you know that I do this all the time. If you're listening to these podcasts already, you know this. And if you just started, you're going to get the picture that I do this all the time. But I try and bring human element in because I want people to understand that there's no difference between going and, and making a deal in a baseball trade than there is from anything in real life in sales, whether you've been a garage sale or whatever it is, doesn't matter. You're in a car dealership. These are all the same kind of premises, right? So when you talk about a deadline as a parent, right? We think about, okay, like, Oh, if you do this one more time then I'm not going to, and then if you, if you don't go ahead and follow through with that, right, then the kids are going to realize that no deadline actually exists. Now, those things happen all the time leading up to a trade deadline or in an offseason. A team will say, I'm, I'm not going to – look, if you don't give me your best offer now, then I'm taking you know, this player off the table. And then you get caught whether or not you're bluffing. I'll give you a scenario in a free agent where you know, the team and its fans – and look, at Chris Davis of the Orioles, fantastic guy, long time with the Orioles, great guy. Right. And what he and his wife did donating uh, three million dollars, I think it was in an offseason two years ago to St. Jude's and the kids. I mean, they're great people. But this was an albatross and a disgraceful contract. You can't give one hundred and seventy million dollars to a a a hitter that's a power hitter only in Camden Yards, which is basically Coors Field's Coors Field East. When you could find guys for one year deals, that could hit 20, 25 jacks there. You can't do that. And they needed pitching and they made a big mistake. But if you go back to that situation, I remember being at winter meetings many years ago, and I'm trying to remember, I think it might, it might have been in Dallas, but, or maybe I think it was Dallas. We were at winter meetings, and we're, you know, we, you've got the Orioles who are sitting there, and they're, they're playing around with offers, and, and Scott Boris, who did a brilliant job with it. Basically, there was nobody else. The Orioles were bidding against themselves, and the Orioles were like, okay, well, you know, if, if you don't take this deal, then, you know, we're, we're not making another offer. And okay. So Scott Boris and the Chris Davis said, no, no problem. And they just walked away. And guess what? The Orioles were bluffing. They needed him. They ended up not only coming back to the table, but they paid, if you go back and check about $10 million more to actually do it. And it was their own bluff that they got called on. They left the table, had to come back. It cost them an extra 10 mil. So these kind of things are going to happen now in the next week. Now, a week doesn't seem like a long period of time, but it seems like seven years if you're dealing with a trade deadline. What do I mean by that? Right now, the Nationals may say, hey, I'm not making a deal for Juan Soto unless you give me your top five prospects, right? And you got teams that are, are you know, given dial tones. Now, what they try and do, like any other sale, is those teams are now working. They got to keep you in the mix. I got to keep you engaged. I don't want you to to go ahead and if I lowball you, you go too far, you go out the window. That happens with free agents all the time. Go back a few off seasons, and Craig Kimbrell made that mistake. If you remember, his agent, uh, who happened to be, I, I believe, uh, which is is not a good thing to have on the back of your baseball card as an agent, the same agent that uh, Albies had with that just horrifically shitty contract that he got with the Braves, but. Here's Craig. Was it David Meter? I think is the agent. So here's Craig Kimball. He he says he wants to get a hundred million dollars as a closer. I mean, look, because he had been a guy who for a long time was trying to say, hey, why aren't I getting the credit? And then people were looking at his postseason record. There was a time period when I was working at Turner in a postseason, and I don't know what it is now numbers wise. And this is true, where for Craig Kimball. To Mariana Rivera, right, would have to, I think it was give up 57 runs or something. Seriously, it's like go back and it was like 57 runs without an out to have the same postseason ERA that Kimbrell did right at the time. But he was trying to earn the credit. He was coming off a good postseason and then boom, OK, he wants the contract. Well, he blew himself out of the water. His asking price was so high he couldn't keep people engaged. And then he's starting a season without a job. Teams got to be careful with that, because if you either get lowballed when you're making an offer for a player, or if they go ahead and they ask for something way too high, now conversations stop. So teams, and, and Mike Rizzo is very good, they're going to keep conversations going. And there probably are, even though we've, you know, the Cardinals and I think Padres and Mariners probably maybe at the top, you the Yankees involved, you the Mets kind of sort of involved, and maybe one or two other teams, you're going to have these teams try and stay engaged. Because the thing that they know is that the Nationals have leverage now right? Because they are sitting here seven days before a deadline. They will have leverage again in an off season when they get there because there's another two years with Soto. Where they don't have leverage is in between.
where they don't have leverage and they get in the sunken place is from August 3rd, when the only thing valuable about that franchise that's trying to be sold and ownership that is trying to sell a franchise will be Juan Soto and to when they get to the offseason. And then once again, now with more teams involved, can open up and say, hey, we're trying to give you, you know, two years of Juan Soto. What are you going to give me for it? Right. And you can make two cases. One, they could in the offseason get more for Soto because more teams will be involved. Because even though people are saying, and they're right to an extent, hey, it's not about you know 2022. It is partially about 2022, people. Because the reason you're making a deal between now and the deadline is to get Juan Soto now and for the next two years. Otherwise, you can get him in the offseason. Now, the devil's advocate to that is, yeah, well, they're talking with other teams, so I might not have a chance to get him in the offseason. They're not going to trade him again, whoever gets him, in, in a few months. Now, maybe, let's say the Cardinals trade for him, and for whatever reason, they couldn't sign him long-term. You might trade him a year from now at the deadline, or the following offseason with a year left, or now, you're not going to do it sitting there with a couple of months away. You're going to have that player. But it is partially about 2022 because those teams are trying to right now get Juan Soto because they feel not a desperation, but an onus to push the pedal down going back to the beginning of this conversation today. And that is those teams that are at top of, the, of these divisions, right, with a chance. So that's why, you know, to me, you're looking at teams that at least have some kind of need in 2022 for Juan Soto. Now, I said in a previous podcast, and I still believe, B-L-E-A-V, of course, hi, um, know where your bread is buttered. Um, I, I believe that we're looking at the Padres and I mentioned the Mariners and look, the Cardinals who have moved in as a big time suitor, they're in the same kind of a mix. You're looking at the same kind of a scenario because you're looking at, what did I say? Go back a previous podcast on Juan Soto. I'm not trying to tell you I'm some genius, but when you cover enough of these, you see the trends and how these deals work. I mean, really it's just paying attention. Teams like the Yankees and the Mets who are getting going in the subway series, they're going to get in on Soto, but I don't believe make a deal between now and the deadline for Soto because they're not going to give the most desperate offer between now and the deadline. Both teams can afford him, which means if he's a free agent at any point in two years, they can get him, right? Both teams in the offseason can go ahead and try and go after him if he doesn't get traded. And both teams can get to or win a World Series. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but they can get to or win a World Series this year without Juan Soto. So I don't need to go ahead and trade. Now, the Cardinals may not even get into the playoffs if they don't go and get Juan Soto, even though I can make the case they also need starting pitching, wouldn't you? You could sit there and you could say the Padres, hey, look, they're, they're a way advanced option, right? The Mariners, clearly, to me, are, and I'll still say this, if you're looking at a team between now and the deadline, and I'm sticking to, by the way, where I was at the podcast a week ago. Now, if you've been following these, and if you haven't, shame on you. What's wrong with you people? And get me at, and follow me at, at Casey Stern because you would have seen this on Twitter also. And you can go back and look. The day before the Buster Olney comment, was it during the home run derby, the All-Star game? I think it was the home run derby, where he said that executives expected the Nationals to, to get a deal done before the deadline. I had said a day before that on the podcast that he would not be moved at this deadline. I then came on a podcast, you could check, the next day afterwards, and I said, I still didn't think he'd get moved at the deadline. Why? Because the Nationals are not forced to trade Juan Soto. They're not. And you're going to need a team to be overly desperate. I'm going to tell you right now, I still would put the pie at, at 60% he doesn't get traded before the deadline and 40% that he does. I think there's enough chatter that you, you always, all it takes is one. I had a GM say this to me years ago, and it's so very true. You know, you've only got 30 jobs in this sport, right? There's only 30 people. You take any 30 people, I don't care what you're doing, and, and I'll go back to the family feud thing I always bring up, right? 100 people ask this question, um, you know, uh, what do you talk into if you want your volume to increase? And you're like, oh, number one is microphone. Number two is megaphone. Number three is PA system, whatever you want to talk about. And, uh, oh, we've got uh, the last answer, number eight. Oh, uh, and now it's uh, the Jones family going for the steal. Okay, what do you think it is? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. <clears throat> Let's find out. Oh, three people said it's a magnifying glass. No, that's not your voice. What? Those people, all it takes is one, one GM who would make the deal you wouldn't make, one owner who would make the deal you wouldn't make. So there's a chance, and because of all the chatter and the bidding, it becomes more of a chance, but I still think there's, it's more likely he doesn't get moved because of a couple of things. Not only the fact that what I just explained, but here's the other part. You've got a tricky situation here with an ownership that is trying to sell a franchise. So there's two ways to look at it, right? 
I have no value to my franchise I'm trying to sell if I move Juan Soto. Now, look, these are these are black and white statements that are not actually legitimate, but this is the way you could look at it, right? Who cares about my franchise? Because one thing I'm going to tell you, and I'll bring, I'm going to loop Otani in here, okay? Shohei Otani's not getting traded. Now, I don't. Mike Trout's not going to get traded either. But if you ask me the pie, I would tell you that if you took a hundred percent and said what percentage would it be if I told you in you know, the Gray's Almanac from Back to the Future, right? One of these two guys is going to get dealt. They're getting moved. No matter what, one of these guys is going to get moved. No matter, right? If I were to tell you for sure that one of these guys was going to get moved, all right, I would tell you eighty percent that it would be Trout and twenty percent that it would be Otani. And I don't think either are going to get traded. All right, the Angels are a cesspool. They're absolutely disgraceful right now. They're a terrible baseball team. They can't do anything right. They have no value at all in terms of even being watchable, except for Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. The difference is because of when you think about the kind of things that Otani does and the money that he's bringing in and the international flavor that he brings to you, the value of Otani to your franchise is way more than Mike Trout. And because of that, I think if you were to tell me, hey, surprise, surprise, Casey, one of these is getting traded, and I don't think either are, it would be Trout, not Otani. Even though you may want Otani more, even though he could do both things for you, right? Maybe one team wants him as a pitcher more than a hitter, whatever. The value of him to the franchise monetarily and to Artie Moreno, who hasn't spent enough of his money in the right places, right? Tony Tubags, who's out for the year, obviously, with an injury, but can't pitch, right? All the bad money they spend on the Tehrans and the Harveys and the Cahills and all the pitching that they've just wasted money on and the bullpens they haven't built and all the things and the mistakes we could talk about, right, with the Angels. When you think about all of that, the, the biggest value of that franchise right now is not even— Mike Trout's the best player in the world, but he's not their biggest value. The biggest value is Otani. He can't get moved. Now let's go to Soto and the Nationals and loop it back in. This is where it gets tricky. Which way do you look at it? And, and I think, you know, in talking to people who run the game in the last few days, I've heard both of these, all right? So I don't know which one it is. I really don't. I've heard, well, the Nationals have to get rid of Soto because if they don't get rid of Soto, then the ownership that comes in, right, is going to have to go ahead and instead of, you know, selling the franchise and the fan base that, hey, look, we're going to build and here are all the great things we're going to do. And it may take five years, but don't worry. We care about the city and we love the ballpark and we want the Nationals to win. And we've been national fans our whole life or whatever the, you know, the, the spiel is going to be, right? When they get into all of that, you don't want the first thing you do to be trading Juan Soto because now your ownership, you as the new owner that you want the fans to get excited about, are now tied to the deal that you made to get rid of the best player that's ever played for that franchise. All right? And I said it. Okay? That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is... An ownership doesn't want to come in and no one's going to want to buy a franchise that has no value whatsoever, a terrible team, a bunch of kids that they get in some deal that no one's ever heard of or cares about, nobody to put it on a calendar, nobody to put it on, on a cereal box, nobody to put on a billboard in D.C. And Juan Soto is a guy who does all of those things. Now, your franchise is not good. Your team is not good. But I know I'm going to have an MVP candidate right when he's here. I know that every day, I give you an example. Last night, I was on Twitter, just kind of surfing around, scrolling through, having trouble sleeping. And Juan Soto had hit a triple in a game that was, look, it was against the Dodgers. The Nationals won. But Juan Soto had hit a triple. And I'm watching tweet after tweet after tweet, a video about the triple of the at-bat that Juan Soto had, about how great Juan Soto is, retweets about how great he is, retweets about the at-bat he had, uh, breakdowns of, of, of his game where he had two hits and a walk. All of this, right, one after one after one. We're talking about on the East Coast where I am after midnight. West Coast game, right? Now, the Dodgers, it's like the best team in baseball record-wise. They got a big lead. Nobody cares. Nobody, this is not a huge game. It's, it wasn't the Dodgers. Nobody cared about the Dodgers. It was Juan Soto. I also saw this morning when I woke up, one of the, the most highly kind of pushed around viral tweets was Juan Soto handing a ball and playing around with the fans in L.A. who want to trade for Juan Soto. The Nationals franchise is unwatchable and you don't care about it, and it doesn't exist, and it has no relevance without Juan Soto. Right now, you've got one of the most relevant players in the world. That is a big deal. So is it going to be 
they want to get rid of him now because the new owners come, come in clean slate, right? And, and is that how the current ownership feels about it? Or is it the other way? And they think, well, geez, we need to have some value to give. And, and maybe the new owner comes in, doesn't want to move Soto. Maybe we want to keep Soto. These are the questions that, that make it, and, and they kind of muck up all of this. They make it murkier for Soto, and it's why I think there's at least still, I, I won't say far better, but a better chance, I'd say 60-40, maybe even 65-35, and you know, these are arbitrary numbers, but I think a better chance still that he doesn't get moved than he does get moved for that reason. So you've got, do I buy, do I sell, where do I sit? How does all of that work? Then you've got, okay, if I'm a seller, what players are valuable to me and what aren't? Now, rentals are the easiest on both sides to figure out. Buyers get to go and get a player and not have to worry about his money staying on the books. It's prorated for the rest of the year, but I don't have to worry about a big contract that comes on. And when we're talking about rental, if you're new to this, we're talking about somebody with an expiring contract, right? Or you look at it the other way and you say, okay, well, how much am I willing to give Right. Going back to what we said, twins and and, you know, brewers and pirates and, you know, teams in that middle Cincinnati over the years, teams in mid markets. One of the reasons Kansas City was in back to back World Series and not every move worked, but they were going and picking up Ben Zobrists and renting, picking up Edinson Volquez and renting, renting Johnny Cueto's who they knew weren't going to stay. And Johnny Cueto wasn't perfect for them, but won a couple of games at home that mattered on the way to a World Series. Those are the kind of things that teams in the middle markets need to do more of. They don't, but that's why they don't win. And that's why the Royals did, because they went and took shots like that. The Indians, who I know got to World Series and didn't win it, but they did get there. They did that a couple of times over in two successive years. In an offseason where Edwin Encarnacion, they had paid $20 million. I know it was a Band-Aid deal for one year, but paid him $20 mil for a deal. And you look, the Royals, Alex Rios, Kendrys Morales, some of these works, some didn't. But you have to, you got to get outside your box and outside your norm and think, okay, as a team that's a middle market team, I got to now push forward. I got to do more than I'm used to doing. This is the kind of thing that I think you got to look at when you're thinking about rentals for this year is now you're looking at going back to the upper echelon teams because those teams, A, they're willing to push the pedal more for a rental because they know if you make postseason dollars, you win a World Series. I mean, the Braves, go look at their sellouts this year. And, you know, I mean, for how many years were we talking about, even with the battery here in Atlanta, that nobody shows up at games for the playoffs? That has not been the case this year. And I know they're a very good team, but it's the year after the World Series. The Astros, for all the cheating and whatever they did, you know, Jim Crane's at a press conference, you know, when the time that he fired A.J. Hinch or suspended, whatever it was, and, you know, hey, and this is terrible and we're so sad. They're not sad. They look at, go, go look up the numbers of what that franchise was worth before they went to the World Series and then look up the numbers of the, what the franchise was worth after they went to the World Series. So the rentals and what to give for them and who's willing, you're not worried. Yankees will be willing. Mets will be willing. Dodgers will be willing. Astros, go back to the Justin Verlander deal, right, and taking on that contract years ago, will be willing. Those teams are not going to worry about it. Now, teams who have players who have another year on their contract at an exorbitant amount of money will also look to use these guys kind of like rentals. Hey, you get a push for the rest of the year, but you also have them for another year. And their sales pitch is, hey, look, you don't have to worry about it. You're doing it for nothing. Even if you don't win a World Series, you get a, you know, w whether it be a J.D. Martin, whoever it might be, right? But the other part of that is, depending upon who the player is, what they're not telling you is, I'm trying to get rid of $22 million. I don't want it in my books next year. You go ahead and sit with it and, and suck it, right? This is the back and forth that goes on, and this is why, going back to patience, that is the most important part of all this. I remember a couple of years ago, and I've worked, I, I don't even know, 17 deadlines, right, and been on the air during for most of them. I remember going back a couple of years, and it was, it might have been, I want to say, I want to say it was 2018. It might have been 2019. But go back to one of those two years. Everybody who works in this sport or follows it will remember this deadline. It was the deadline that broke all the records. And there were, I think, 34 deals that were made or announced like right afterwards once the fax machine and everything else goes down after 4 Eastern in the last hour alone. So, I mean, you had like 100. This was a deadline where I was sitting there for, for a week and people were saying, oh, nothing's going to happen. This is so boring. Nobody's going to make moves. Why? Going back to what I said at the beginning, the reason being that there aren't enough sellers. Everybody's in it. You got too many. You know, there was, remember, this was the year where there were four teams that won over 100, four that lost over 100, and everyone else was kind of in the muffin tops. I like to call them the standings, right? Going back to Seinfeld. 
Well, when you're in that muffin tops and you're kind of just hanging over 500, you're not really willing to sell or to buy. So teams are just going to stand pat. That wasn't how it happened. There were 34 deals in the last hour. But that's why I'm explaining all this to you in this primer episode of this. is, And this is not rocket science, but this is, this is the way you have to think as a fan because this is the truth. Okay, This is the unfiltered where well, you just got 35 minutes and counting. Just no offense to anybody else. Just thirty-five minutes more real than thirty-five hundred hours you're going to get anywhere else because this is really what happens at the deadline. Okay, this is how it works. All right. So when you go closer now to that deadline, the parent who says, "If you do this one more time, right?" Well, well, this is an official deadline. It's a hard deadline. There's no waiver deadline anymore, right? That protected you. And thank God I don't have to explain that to people who didn't understand it anymore. You've got one deadline. If if you don't make a deal with me once. If you don't make a deal with me, all right, and what happens with all of that, right, is that you're going to have teams telling you. It's like, let me give you an example that is very much kind of close to home for everybody. All right. You ever, you ever sell your car, right? If you're selling your car or let me give you an even better one. I'm going to give you an even better one. This is actually, I'm, I'm, I'm scratch that. This is a, a better example on the fly here. You ever, scalping tickets is wrong. Don't ever do it. Okay. You ever scalp tickets? Okay. I remember buying tickets with my father for Jim Abbott's no-hitter. My dad a Yankee fan. I'm not. But uh, he wanted it. was one Sunday afternoon in September of 1993. He's like, it's nice out. You want to grab a buddy and go to the game. They're playing Manny Ramirez and the Indians. And Manny at the time was coming home and was a great young talent. And everybody wanted to watch him play. And we went to the stadium. And we ended up like 10 minutes before the game. We had no tickets. 10 minutes before the game started, a block away from Yankee Stadium, I was in the eighth row, right, right next to, like, right by first base. I was in the eighth row sitting there, and it was it, Jim Abbott's no-hitter. I actually wrote my college essay, Getting Into College. This is a true story, um, entitled the, the Day I Saw My Father Cry. It was the first time I ever saw my father cry, uh, and it was in the ninth inning of that no-hitter. All right? So that situation, why I'm bringing it up, because when you're sitting there and you're buying or selling tickets— to an event that's about to start in 10 minutes, you're not offering or needing to pay on the other side what you were offering or needing to pay a week ago on StubHub. That person may have been, let's say the tickets were face value, $85. Let's just use a Springsteen show, even though those are like $85,000, and that's a whole other problem I'm dealing with. But let's say they're like $85, right? You got $85 tickets, and you're sitting there, and you're on StubHub. At the beginning, you're, you're put 300 Yeah. I mean, hey, you can't get them anymore. It's sold out. It's 300 bucks, right? That's a week before. Let's do it today. Let's say the concert is August 2nd. I want because this is this is I, I'm not this is deadline for dummies. And we're all dummies. So it's okay. It's not it's not you know condescending. I'm, it, we're all dummies, all right? But we're dummies sometimes we need people to like explain things to us. I always say like if everyone in your life is telling you that you're in a bad relationship or your job is shit or you're being treated like shit and you're like, no, you don't understand. They're so nice to me and they love me. It's you who's the idiot. They're all telling you that eventually you go back and you're like, oh, my God. And why? It's your point of view. It's your vantage point. You're not looking at it in a certain way. So now let's take this vantage point of these tickets. You got this concert on August 2nd, right? So it's 200 bucks. Guess what? Uh, now nobody's buying. They're not giving you what you want. You're selling four tickets. I want two. I want three. I can't. You Can you come to me? No, it's only electronic. Whatever the problems are. Now you're like, okay, I got to go to the arena and try and do it, right? Now you go to the arena. You get saucy. These people are desperate. Let's try and up it. I'm going to try 400 bucks, right? Four hours before in the tailgate. You're wandering around. No, nobody willing to bite. I'll offer you 100. Nope. Now you're not taking 100. Guess what? Three hours later, when you still have those tickets, now you're offering 100 and trying to find somebody. Then, if you're sitting there and a concert's already started, you may be offering less than face value. Now, you might, at a Springsteen show, not get stuck, but that's what happens because there's not nine other Springsteen shows. But at the deadline, follow me, when there's nine other players and nine other teams you're having conversations with and you're trying to play this down the same way with those tickets, that deadline comes all of the value and leverage that you have as a seller is now dropping. 
All right. All of the value that you have in leverage as I don't need to buy from you is now gone. So that is why a lot of these deals will take place on the day of the deadline. Unless the Nationals are bowled over, I don't see a deal happening for Juan Soto between now and at least 48 hours before the deadline. But here's the problem, and this is the craziness about the deadline, right? The difference in two days. Two days before, the Nationals might have five teams and be like, hey, no, screw you, I'm not taking that deal. I got this from this guy. And I, I you know, and they could, you know, play with whether they're honest or not. It, that's up to them. You know, hey, this is what I've been offered. This is what I haven't been offered. And this guy's giving me this. And I, I you know, I got somebody else who's got four prospects and you're only giving me three. But guess what? When it gets to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, there's 60 minutes to go before they know you're stuck with him until the offseason, and you got a team, the franchise that's going to be sold, and we don't know who the owner is and all that stuff. Guess what? Then it's going to flip. Literally, in the last hour, that thing's going to flip, where now the Nationals are on their heels, and that's where it becomes, do they really want to trade the player? Now, Mike Rizzo doesn't want to move Juan Soto, but it's not up to him. You know, we always blame the GMs. It's not up to him. It's up to the ownership. But you're going to find out in those last few hours of the deadline whether or not Juan Soto, whether or not the, the current ownership, the situation with new owners, the value has played out to where they believe it's best to move Soto. You're going to find out the true answer to that, I believe, in the last two hours before the deadline. I think it'll take that long for him to be moved, unless they get totally bowled over. Unless a team that's feeling desperate, right, like a team like Seattle— Goes ahead, and, and I don't mean desperate because they're not a good team, but because for them to get into the postseason after not being there for like you know a million years, a century it seems, it, it's going to be more desperation for them to try and make a deal. But that's why I think it'll take that long. But Otani's not going to get moved. He, he's not going to get moved because the value that he is to that franchise. Not going to get moved. The last thing I want to bring up here in this primer is prospects, all right? Here, here is what really pisses me off, and I'm going to use Juan Soto in this, okay? But it's not just about Juan Soto. But it's about Kevin Durant in the other sport in the NBA, but anything else. You cannot tell me you want to go and get a steak at Mastro's, right, or a butter cake at Mastro's, and pay for what you would pay for in terms of price to get the Bloomin' Onion and a steak at the Outback Steakhouse, you cannot go into Barney's and expect to pay what you pay at Old Navy. Now, if you buy at Old Navy, nothing wrong with the store. You're going to get what product you get at Old Navy. If you get Arby's, you're going to get wet roast beef. If you eat on a plane, you're going to get wet roast beef. But if you want to go get a, a steak, you want to go to Peter Luger's, you're going to go pay that price. That's the way that it is, okay? You cannot tell me that you want Juan Soto and then give me any prospect on God's green earth that has not played, whether it's Alvarez with the Mets or anybody else, any prospect that has not touched a major league field. You cannot tell me you're not willing to give that prospect in a deal for Juan Soto because then you're an idiot, okay? As I saw a tweet earlier today, Juan Soto is the only player with over 1,500 at-bats. There are like 250 of them right now in the big leagues. He's the only one who, with 1,500-plus at-bats, has more walks than strikeouts. The guy is an unbelievably valuable player. He's the best player to ever play for the Nationals franchise. He is an all-time talent. Now, he could get hurt. He could get injured. He could fall into drugs. I mean, there's like a million things that could happen, right? I grew up with the 80s Mets, right? But we're talking about literally, sorry, this is not, I'm not, this isn't like some, like, this isn't some media hype or clickbait. He is an all-time talent. That is for sure. He's an all-time talent. You can't get him and tell me there's any prospect. Prospects could be suspects. Prospects have never played. Prospects are doing it in the minor leagues. Now, depending upon what you believe, there are some, B-L-E-A-V, there are some that you need to hang your hat on. I could tell you, and you can go ask my broadcast partner at the Times, Ryan Spielborgs, or anybody who listened to me at the time for about a year on MLB Network Radio, I had watched and, and talked to a lot of people about Jordan Alvarez before he ever played in this sport at this level, and I said that he was going to be a perennial all-star, an MVP candidate, and a stud, and people thought I was crazy. Now, I've gotten some wrong, too, but you know there are times where you can really, like, hey, bet on a guy, but would I have traded Jordan Alvarez that day and three Jordan Alvarez's for Juan Soto? Of course, because you're trading guys who are, are unknown. I don't know what they'll be for guys who are up here. 
it's it's how this developed in the first place with this whole thing. And and for those who don't know, and I mentioned it in an earlier podcast, the parade, prospects of cool parades are cooler. Was during a conversation. It was it was during a rant. It, it came out during a rant initially in 2015 about the Dodgers, who at the time lost to the Mets in Game Five to Jacob Degrom in that playoffs in the first round. And I think if they had done what I had said, they wouldn't have. And I think they would have played in the World Series and probably won it and not lost it like the Mets. Why? They had Kershaw and they had Greinke, who was in his last year and was at a high, high level as a two. And I had, they had Cole Hamels, who at the time wasn't the, he wasn't the top, top level Phillies one that he was when he won five games in a postseason, won a World Series. However, he was still a number one. Cole Hamels ended up getting traded. Not to the Dodgers, but he did get traded to the Texas Rangers. He beat Dallas Keuchel head-to-head twice down the stretch, and they won a division and beat the Astros. Okay, Now, they didn't win the World Series, but they did beat the Astros. Okay, Now, in this scenario, all right, and I believe it was actually, I think it was the year that, that uh, Dyson with the Bautista home run when they lost to the Jays, I, I think, with those errors and uh, Andrews and company in the playoffs. I think it was the same year. But... Hamels was on the table, and the reports were, and who knows, that the Dodgers had turned down a deal where they didn't want to give Julio Urias, right, in a deal for Cole Hamels. And people are going to say to me now, years later, because five years later, Julio Urias pitched three innings of brilliance in a World Series, and we've seen what he's become. But it took five years, right? And the, the Dodger fans at the time, I'm sure, would have liked to win those World Series or at least get there. They were ousted in the first round by the Mets that year, right? I believed if you put Hamels, who was a lefty between those two righties, that you would have won. And I still think, by the way, that you would have won. I, I think the Grandersons and the Murphys and company, even with the Mets in that series, and you can go on down the line. Okay, Rizzo and so much with the cut. I, I think I think it was a difference maker. I really do. I still sit there with that, uh, and that's not to be stubborn. But the point is, what I was saying at the time during this rant, where this developed was. Prospects are great, right? And we're talking about guys, who, and, and this, this doesn't mean you trade everyone. Like, oh, like you, like because I remember Dodger fans like, oh, should, should we trade Cody Bellinger? You have, to, you have to trade every prospect you've ever had. But if you have a chance to push the pedal down, the question is: Is the player that you don't want to move, the young player, is he ever going to be for you? And there's no guarantees, but do you feel like he's ever going to be for you? The level of what the player is that you're getting, there is no chance that any prospect dealt in a Juan Soto deal is going to be Juan Soto. Now, I'm going back to the fan graph 0.0, 0.0, because there are no Juan Sotos now. Juan Soto, Juan Soto is... When you're talking about a guy like Juan Soto... Juan Soto's a unicorn, okay? This guy's a unicorn. There's only one. There's only one now. There's only, I mean, these guys don't grow on trees. You can't tell me any of these prospects. Now, you got to trade five of them. What if we deplete the system? I get all that. But this goes back to, if you have a chance to win a World Series now, you win it. It's like, I, I, I'll give you, to kind of you know, really expound on this point, I hear people say, and this is, this is a question that, to me, it's not a question, but would you rather root for a team that wins five division titles or that gets to the playoffs twice in a five-year span but wins a World Series? And I, a lot of fans nowadays, now let me tell you something, I'm, I'm only in my mid-40s, 20, 30 years ago, no one would have said they'd rather just get to the playoffs, win division titles. No one. No Braves fan who won 15 division titles and only won one World Series would have said that, trust me, here in Atlanta. I can go ask them for you if you want. Nobody. But... Nowadays, with the way that fans are, because they're just bananas nuts, they're like, no, I would way rather have a chance to win every... No, I'm not telling you a chance. Like, I'm telling you, we're after the five years, and I've looked in the future, you're not going to win the World Series, you're going to win five division titles. So you're going to get there, but each time you're not winning the World Series, right? The other way, you're only going to get there twice, you're going to win a World Series. And you got people who say, I'd rather be winning division titles. What are you, crazy? I'd rather miss the playoffs four years. I'm a New York Giants football fan. They are deplorably, stupidly, horrifically bad. They are awful. Okay, even things that look great, like like Saquon Barkley was going to be, are not. All right, they're terrible. You think I care? We, 2007, 2011, what they did with with Eli Manning twice in a four or five year span, which in football, I mean, you're lucky. I mean, I know Jet fans in my life that are friends of mine. They're, they're still having bad dreams about Ken O'Brien. 
are you kidding me? I don't care that the other team that the other times they stunk. I don't care that they stink now. It doesn't matter. The year that they were nine and seven and barely got in the playoffs, and then they won all the road games, won a, won a Super Bowl. You think I want to give it back? You think I give a shit? I don't care. That is the way you're supposed to be as a fan and as a team. If you got a chance to win a World Series, you take it. Okay. It's like uh, you know uh, Kurt Russell when he was Herb Brooks in, in Miracle. You go out there and take it. That is what you do. That's the prospects are cool, parades are cooler. That's the pushing the pedal down. That's when you're a buyer. That's when you're a renter. That's when you go after it. Sure, I'd rather own a player for six years, but if I can rent and this guy can be a difference maker, he can be a difference maker. Now, one thing we're going to get into tomorrow, and our guests will start rolling in and we'll have these every day, is I want to get into the deadline is not, and remember, I will have pods up reacting to every deal also. So we'll have a lot of specifics. It's going to be crazy. We'll be very busy. All right. So please, this is, to me, this is the unfiltered revolution. That's what I'm calling it. I want you on board. Get on at Casey Stern, like all my videos and subscribe uh, to, I've got two YouTube channels. I've got one that's more fun and, and music and stuff. And I've got one that's unfiltered. We're staying unfiltered on Twitter. You can ask me, DM me. I don't care. I, I, lo I love talking sports and, and music and anything else in life. But one of the things I want to talk about tomorrow is I want to get into that it's not the big names that are moved to the deadline that are the biggest deals. Almost always, it's the smaller ones. Did anyone think Cody Ross off waivers is going to be a big deal for the Giants or Marco Scudero even when he came over? No. Nobody thought those guys were going to be big and, and be valuable, right? Somebody said to me the other day, and I'm not saying Dan Vogelbach's going to be this guy, but I was, I was saying, hey, look, you know, Mets will have more moves. They'll get a right-handed bat. I think Mancini or Bell or somebody will end up there, or Wilson Contreras, maybe, higher end, and they do the right-handed bat with a catcher instead. But regardless... They'll get a right-handed bat, but I said, I said, and I believe this. Vogelbach will have like a pinch hit homer, a ninth inning homer. Like he's he's that kind of guy. And somebody in a way that they were demeaning what I was saying about the deal was like, "Oh, great! So we traded for Matt Stairs. You mean Matt Stairs, the guy who won multiple playoff series for the Phillies? Matt Stairs, who Jonathan Broxton is still having nightmares about? That Matt Stairs? Those players make a difference. They don't get chatter as much. They don't get talked about as much." But and, and they don't certainly don't cost as much. You get a lot of the player to be named later and cash considerations. And I never heard of this guy kind of stuff. But those guys are extremely valuable. They're extremely valuable. Those players are very, very valuable. It is not just the big names. But I think Soto, in recap, 60-40 that he doesn't get moved by the deadline. Otani, no chance he's getting moved. Trout, I don't think there's any chance he gets moved either. But I think if if you told me one was moved, it would be Trout 80%, Otani 20 because of the value of the franchise. I think the guys that you'll see moved, Mancini, I mentioned Bell. Uh, I do think Wilson Contreras, you'll see get moved. Ian Happ uh, will get moved. I think Noah Syndergaard will get moved. Um, I, I, there's a lot of other guys that certainly fall into the category. The bullpen arms, David Robertson, for example, gone. The question is, and we'll get into this tomorrow too, are there some whales out there, I mentioned Xander Bogarts, that are attainable that we're not thinking of? Are there teams that are going to go ahead and do something that is stealth and go grab a player that you didn't think could be moved? Like when a Troy Tulowitzki was dealt to the Jays and they made like 20,000 trades to get into the playoffs. We'll get into that tomorrow. We'll have daily pods. Get me at Casey Stern. Like, subscribe to all the videos and the YouTube channels and Believes as well. Much love. And please... Uh, be authentic, be you, it's right behind me on the shoulder, and stay unfiltered. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.